Hi there, this is Ian Rankin. You're listening to Right for Type. I'm Don Winslow. I'm Laurie Rader Day. This is Rachel Housel Hall. Hi, this is Sophie Hanna. Oh, interesting question. Excellent question. That's a compelling question. This is Attica Locke, and you're listening to Writer Types. Welcome to Writer Types. I am your host, Eric Beatner, and joining me today as my special guest co-host is Alex Segura. Welcome, Alex, and thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. This is It's always fun to be a guest, but now I feel much more important as the co-host. Great for <laughs> As you should. Yeah. Well, Alex is, of course, the author of the Pete Fernandez Mystery Series, which came to an end in 2019. So here we are, Alex. It's, it's a new year. It's a new start. I got to know, was it hard to get moving on the next projects after the last Pete novel or, or were you really chomping at the bit to get onto something new? Uh, it was a mix of both. You know, part of me wanted to definitely end on in a meaningful way. I find endings uh, baffling in so many mediums, you know, TV, uh, books, uh, movies. It's just such a challenge to not only end a book, but end a five book series. So I really wanted to make it strong and powerful and, and, and worth the wait. Um, but I was really thinking about the next thing. I, ha- I have this specific standalone in mind that I'm I'm in the weeds on now and uh, some other stuff that's that's going to be coming up in, in 2020. So it was a mix of both. I didn't want to I didn't want people, you know, there's always that feeling, oh, you know, it ended badly, but the first four books are good. I didn't want that. I wanted it to right. feel like, you know, <laughs> you, you get a meaningful beat with each each of the books. So. Yeah, and if you don't stick the landing, people will let you know. Yes, they will remember. But you know, the feedback's been really great. Everyone said, you know, this is the ending I wanted, and uh, it, well, this is the ending I needed, and that's you always want to give the reader what what they they don't know they want. Well, speaking of new things, I did want to take this opportunity up top here to let people know that Writer Types has a new website, and uh, if you go to writertypespodcast dot com, you can find archives of the old shows. You can reach out and uh, contact me for anything. Uh, but mostly it was uh, 2020 and I kept hearing all the kids, you know, talk about this interweb thing. <laughs> I, I figured I should probably find out what that was all about. <laughs> yeah, I know what the, the future is on the internets. <laughs> yeah, that's what I keep hearing. Yeah. Now, Alex, I, I do want to have, have a slight bone to pick with you because you've stolen something from me, sir. Oh, have I? You have, because I used to be known as the nicest guy in crime fiction. <laughs> But now everybody loves Alex, so I think we have to be enemies now. Is that how it works? We can be frenemies at least. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Please note that I, I have not. I have not disputed your claim. <laughs> no, no, no. No, you are still one of the nicest guys. So oh, you're good. in the top five. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> Actually, I, I feel like my rank is dropping just by being snide about <laughs> that's, it. My plan is working then. <laughs> Well, now we we met about ten years ago. I, I realized we were all wide eyed and eager at the future. Met at a writing conference, right? And as I recall it, we both came together because we were at a cocktail party, and neither one of us was talking to anybody. So That's we, right. We, yeah, we were very, uh, you know, like, is this really happening? And you know, it, it's funny because it didn't really happen until much later. But right? <laughs> however, that, however, you define that happening, but uh, well, I want to know ten years on from from that moment. I mean, has your publishing career been what you expected at all? You know, I think, I think it's just been a series of, I hope this happens next. And and then you can kind of zoom out and look at it and say, okay, a lot of things happen. I, I never would have imagined that I'd write five books and write, you know, a stack of comics or a podcast. So I, I feel really grateful. Uh, you know, everyone's been doing those look back on the 2010s and, um, 
I did one too, and I was really proud of the result. It was not what I had imagined, and it's 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 really it's a testament. And I think your your output too is if you put in the work, you will see the results, and and that's what I love about publishing. You literally, if you if you do the work, you will have a product that you can hold and look at, and uh, for better or worse, it exists in some way. Is it a a way to almost mark the time a little bit? Like if if you went back now. And I don't know how long it's been since you've taken a look at Silent City, but like, do you think you could go back and read that? I mean, that, that would—it's almost like time travel at this point. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I don't—I do go back and read my stuff when I need it for research. Definitely with Miami Midnight because it tied in all the threads from the first four. I had to go back and do it more than I would with, say, Blackout, which was each each of the first four are very much a case, and there's you know ongoing threads like Pete's sobriety and where the supporting characters are. But with Miami Midnight, I think there's a, a nod to every book and every case. So there was much more time spent reading the old stuff. And it was weird. It was very, uh, I kind of could tap into where my head was at with each of those books, which is a little disconcerting. And um, I wouldn't, you know, I always tell people start at the beginning, but I, I wouldn't go back and read the beginning just because it's, it's such a different experience. Yeah. All right. Well, let's welcome our first guest, shall we? Let's do it. All right. Steph Post is, I know, a favorite of yours, Alex. She's the author of Lightwood, Walk in the Fire, and now Holding Smoke, which makes up her Judah Cannon trilogy. Uh, she also wrote last year's Miraculum, uh, and I'm a big fan of her first novel, A Treeborn Crooked. I mm-hmm. mean, honestly, I've really enjoyed everything that she's written, and I know you're in the same camp, Alex. Yeah, she's fantastic. I think uh, when I when I think of like current Florida crime writers, she's definitely atop my list. And and just the way she can hop from genre to genre, and she really has a literary kind of confidence to her writing style. And I hate using that term, but it's it's just she's a very confident writer, and and her her prose is really strong. And and I love her character work. And it's I always look forward to a new Steph Post book, and she's just a great person. We've done a ton of events together, and. Uh, you know, she's one of my favorite people in this crazy world. Yeah. Don't you hate it when writers are, are good writers on the page, but they're also charming individuals? Yeah, it really sucks. It's a bummer. <laughs> All right. Well, it's always fun to talk to her. So let's welcome Steph Post. Well, Steph Post, it's January, so it must be time for our annual tradition. It's your appearance on Writer Types. This makes three years in a row. Uh, wow. Has it really been... Is it really three years? Like I've been doing this for that long? <laughs> I'm feeling a little offended. I feel like I've only been on once. <laughs> I, I was on the very first one. You were. Wow. So. And and three, it, it turns out to be an appropriate number because Holding Smoke is here and this is the final book in the Judah Cannon trilogy. So here's the thing I wanna know now that you're sort of putting a, a, a pin on these three books, are these books, a bit of a love letter to the rural Florida where you live, or are they kind of a critique? Because in reading these books, it could go either way. <laughs> I mean, I, I would say it's a love letter for sure. That was sort of one of the reasons that I wanted to write these books. I mean, I wanted to tell a really good story, but there weren't any novels necessarily that really took place in that area. Um, there have been a few authors that, that have tackled North Central Florida, um, but I, I don't know. I wanted to, to really bring my perspective to that area and to the stories that I wanted to tell about these people that, you know, in a way they're losers and they're beautiful losers and they have all of these dreams. And I just wanted to, I wanted to read about that. So I wrote about it. 
Yeah, that feels like the best, uh, I mean, for me, the best impetus to writing a story. It's just the space that isn't filled that only you can do. Um, I'm, in, I'm curious. I mean, we've talked about each book in the series and how they relate to, to my books. They just kind of, we're, we're doing different ends of the Florida crime spectrum, I guess. Well, and, and getting to rural Florida, I think, was, was a smart idea because, I mean, someplace like Miami is so overdone. I mean, who needs another <laughs> Miami book? I mean, seriously, let's shovel them, let's burn them all. <laughs> but did you know going in this was going to be a trilogy, and and so you kind of mapped it out to to head into this finale, or was it something where writing this third book you were like, this is the end? Oh, it was the end. <laughs> I knew when I wrote Lightwood that I wanted to write a trilogy. I had this idea in my mind of of sort of this epic arc, something along the lines of of The Godfather, if the third one was really good, family stories that have this arc of a character. So I knew I wanted to do that. I'm glad that I'm putting it to bed, though. I don't have any loose ties. There's no, like, oh, I wish I had kept it open, or maybe there will be another book. Um, it feels complete to me. That's interesting, yeah. I mean, I, I felt a lot of anxiety. I mean, I was happy to end the Pete books, and then... The- I'm not happy in that, oh, good riddance, but more just like, okay, this is a story. Um, but then once I announced it was the last one, and I, I wonder if you got a little bit of this too, there were a lot of people that were like, oh my God, you can't end it now. And, and did you find that gratifying to some degree? Yeah, because it meant that people fell in love with the characters as much as I did. And so that's, yeah, it's gratifying that you had an impact. Um But I don't see myself doing that. Um I love when a series ends and it ends right and it's done and you bow out gracefully yeah. and leave the stage. Yeah. I'm just waiting for the fan fiction to start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if anyone's going to do it, I, I'm going to take up uh, writing about sister Tula. Cause I, I will go on record and say that she is one of my favorite uh, antagonists of <laughs> the last couple of decades. Oh, I think she would love absolutely that. love her. <laughs> love to hate her. Let's, let's say that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, now, Steph, let, let's get into the to the real reason that we're talking here today, because in addition to all the writing and all the accolades, uh, you are a bit of an amateur chicken farmer. I am not an amateur. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> professional. <laughs> well, what I want to know is it, it, having all the animals that you have uh, around your compound, uh, when you go out there and you're out at the coop and taking care of all these animals, are you using that time to think of ideas and fill plot holes and stuff like that. Do you take those opportunities to, to do the, the thinking part of the writing process? No, I'm trying to never take my eye off the rooster because if you turn your back on the rooster, he will kill you. So I spend the whole time I'm in the coop with, you know, I and Squiggy making sure he's not coming after me. There's no downtime with chickens. (laughs) So you don't find it soothing in any way. It's just very stressful. Well, it's not stressful, but, but, you know, yeah, it's not soothing. There's no, like, you know, if you, like, start to think about your next plot or whatever, a chicken's going to come up and bite you. Um, you know, people think, like, raising chickens is this really, like, yeah, calm, you know, you have a couple chickens and it's happy and quaint and you, like, put sweaters on them and stuff. And no, I mean, it's Jurassic Park <laughs> out there. There's nothing quaint (laughs) about chickens. They are tiny dinosaurs, and if they were bigger, they would eat us alive and screaming. And I love them so much. (laughs) 
I can see that. <laughs> um, you know, but but speaking of like the stress and anxiety, you, you know, you you do talk about this, and we've talked about this before. Just the process and uh, yeah, it just how hard hard rot it is to get a book out. But I've always found that every book is painful in its own unique way. So can we talk a little bit about the new book and just how how challenging it was to get it on paper? Yeah, I mean, and I I I do actually talk a lot about um, that writing is hard, and and we talk about it yeah. a lot. It's painful. Um, we're all masochists that do this. Um, but you're right. Every book has had its own sort of set of challenges, and Holding Smoke in particular had a very specific challenge. And the challenge for me was. Um, I had switched genres already. I'd written Miraculum and I was already doing research for the book I'm just about to finish up now. That's a completely different genre um, set in, you know, the 1890s. And then I was, you know, I had to write Holding Smoke and finish out the trilogy. So there was this very weird to begin with sort of love hate relationship because my mind just wasn't you know, in the place of writing Florida crime, I had already sort of moved on to something else, but yet I didn't want to give the book, you know, any less of my heart than I have every book I've ever worked on. So there was, there was a little bit of a, a strange struggle for me to, to put myself back in that world and stay there for a year to write the book when I was also kind of working on other things in a completely different direction. Yeah, it's tough because you almost, I mean, I can relate to that just having almost one foot out the door, mm-hmm. um, but also not wanting to uh, to forget to turn off the lights or make sure the oven was off. You know, just these little things. You want to give it its respect and, 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 and close it out in a meaningful way. Yeah, I felt I've kind of grown up as a writer through these books. Like, you can see it. I didn't just appear, you know, in, in the writing world with a, a debut bestseller. I've, I've clawed my way up from small book to a little bit bigger and a lot of all you know authors and readers have been on this journey with me and I wanted to sort of give them the ending that I felt the book deserved and so that was sort of in my mind the whole time as well that this book is it's really for the readers who have been supporting me you know throughout this series is the idea of you know fighting against almost your own inspiration does that ever get in the way like as you say you've done multiple genres you you have these ideas that that come in and kind of take over is it ever like oh my god brain just slow down a minute stop <laughs> <laughs> let me focus well one thing that's interesting and i i sort of noticed this um when I was reading at the Tampa Bay Times Book Festival in November, it was the first time I'd read um, aloud from Holding Smoke. And I read uh, one of my favorite passages, and I realized how much it had all of these mythological elements in it that certainly weren't in Lightwood. And so it's it's weird that all the stuff I've been working on in these other genres has slowly been creeping its way into my crime fiction. And you can see that in Holding Smoke. And I hadn't really realized it until I went back and, you know, read my book, parts of it out loud. It's, oh, my gosh, this is you can clearly see the direction I was going in. And there's like the English teacher in me that is analyzing everything and can see that. And I think it's a good thing. No, it's exciting. I don't know if you guys agree, but I do feel like I've seen a lot more writers, I guess, 
of our generation or just people that have sort of came up around the same time that, that the three of us did, they are stretching and reaching and crossing genres and, and doing more genre blending. I, I think uh, whether that comes from just trying to get out of their own you know, stasis or whatever, or if the readers are now looking for something a little deeper. I mean, I recently in my trials and travails of uh, on my new agent hunt and everything, you know, had an agent be very frank and said, look, people aren't buying straight crime anymore. You know, the big publishers just aren't interested in that. Hmm. But if you have a unique twist, if you can blend a straight crime with some sort of, you know, sci-fi element or, or you know, some other kind of thing that you can graft on top of it, now we're talking. Do you, I mean, do you think it's just sort of be, comes from writers burning out a little bit and needing to turn to something new to inspire the writing itself? I mean, that might be part of it. I also, like, I'm fascinated by genre. Um, because if you had asked me, you know, before I became a writer, what, what type of genre do I read? I, I would have just said fiction, even as an English teacher, I yeah. never thought to, you know, necessarily break it up into all of these, you know, we have all these little tiny niche categories now because it's a way of, of shelving books and being able to search them on, you know, Goodreads or whatever. So, but if you think about the books that, that are timeless or that really affect people, they can go into 15 different genres. And so I, I think maybe authors are, we're giving ourselves um, the leeway now to, it's almost like a backlash against all the genres that we had to put ourselves in to market our books. Now yeah, we're yeah. kind of like, okay, I think this whole sort of generation that we're in is becoming more confident uh, with what we're doing and trusting the readers and then trusting ourselves to trust the readers. And so we're just writing good stories. It's also, it's marketing. I mean, these are, these are terms that are used for marketing and, and once you start using those terms before you even create, I feel like you, you limit yourself. I mean, uh, I've had people ask me, you know, is your book a thriller? Is it a mystery? I'm like, it's whatever you want it to be. Cause it's, I already wrote it. You know, it exists. It yeah. is this thing already. Well, Steph, one of the things that has been very exciting about all of your appearances uh, on Writer Types are the revelations that seem to come out every time uh, we talk to you. Um, the first time we spoke to you, we realized that uh, you don't like trees. Nope. Uh, and then last time, just despite, despite all the chickens, you don't actually like eggs. So I'm waiting <laughs> to hear what sort of uh, nugget of truth you're going to drop on us this time. Uh, is there anything that we're going to be shocked to learn about you? Oh my gosh. I don't know. Um, all right. I know for sure that I do not like wild pigs. Don't like feral hogs. And I had like a total horrible flashback moment from my childhood a couple weeks ago when we had a pair of, of wild boars basically invade our property. They got in the chicken coop. We had to chase them out of the chicken coop with spaghetti to entice them then, of course, they were eating spaghetti, spaghetti. so they didn't want to leave. And, you know, I just kept thinking <laughs> that was Ryan's doing, by as, the way. I wanted do. to just, like, shoot them. But, you know, then he's like, what? You're the lifelong vegetarian. We can't shoot the pigs. It was a whole thing. And it, it very much reminded me of, <laughs> of, of being, you know, treed by wild boars when I was a kid. And thinking that will never happen to me again. You know, I had moved away to the big city kind of. And, and here I am, my life is full circle again. And I'm dealing with these wild pigs 
they haven't treated me, but now they're like trying to get into my house to get more spaghetti. Like they keep coming back. <laughs> yeah, now you've already you've given them a taste of uh, some spaghetti. Yes, and and <laughs> so now it. I'm being plagued by these these creatures, and they're like they're they're nice. They're not like the horrible ones with the tusks that treed me in my childhood, but. I still don't really want them, like, you know, coming through the dog door or anything. I mean, they're they're not pets. <laughs> so if listeners have learned anything from today's show, it's not to feed wild pigs spaghetti. Really not. Yes. Like, try pizza, really try want. something else. <laughs> well, Steph, it is always uh, an education when we speak with you. So. Yeah, I don't really know how to top the spaghetti thing. <laughs> oh, next year, I'll top it for sure. <laughs> Alex, I don't know about you, but I would never in a hundred years even think of feeding spaghetti to a pig. It is not on my top 10 things to do, but now it might be. Like if I run across a pig and happen to have, you know, some spaghetti leftovers, I, I will try it. If, if I'm ever out hiking in the woods, I'm going to fill one pocket with spaghetti. <laughs> yeah, hopefully in a Ziploc for just for your own laundry's sake. No, that, you, 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 know, you don't have that much time. It has to be loose spaghetti so you can get it out quick. It's true. It's true. It's true. It's it's, it's just something now, it's a new tool in my, uh, my toolkit. <laughs> well, Alex, when I talk to any author, usually within the first few minutes, I will always get to the important question that's on my mind. Have you read anything good lately? I have read a lot of good things. Yeah, Elizabeth Little's Pretty as a Picture, which I think comes out in the next couple months, was, yeah. was one of those books that I was really looking forward to. And uh, she very kindly sent me an arc, and I was able to burn through that very quickly. But... People should be on the lookout for that. And um, one of the other books I got was Ivy Pakoda's These Women, which is, you know, I loved Wonder Valley and uh, I just think she's fantastic. And, yeah. and this, this book is is just another level up for her, which is amazing because she's already kind of in the stratosphere in terms of of just as a writer. Her, You know, she's a fantastic prose writer. Her plotting is really tight. I, I think... I think it's great, and I think people will be talking about it. I think it'll be the book of the year. Wow. And, and another just a, a wonderful person to, to hang out with. She's she's fantastic. Yeah, she's pretty much the coolest person I know. <laughs> <laughs> I want to tell you and the listeners uh, about a book that I recently read. Actually, I listened to it on audio because I have a very long commute uh, and, and really dug it. But have you read Fallen Mountains by Kimmy Cunningham Grant? I have not. Yeah, it sounds good, though. Uh, it was a great, uh, it's it's a rural set in uh, Pennsylvania, and it's stuff, it definitely, it's one of those books that skirts the line between what a lot of people call noir and, uh, you know, just kind of a rich character study. I, I feel like this year I was really drawn to uh, maybe some slower and definitely more like character-based stories instead of a lot of like real slam-bang action, and I we're getting old. I know that's that's my thing. I've, I kept reading these books and be like, "Oh, I really like that." Oh my god, am I maturing? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's also I I find um, I'm much more interested in. And this is so generalized, but I just I've been reading just theme, women crime writers for the big bulk of the last couple of years. Those are the ones that really kind of get my brain working. Well, when I'm reading, I, I, I prefer not to uh, really see gender, but, you know, you, you, you read what you want. Yeah, I'm not a nice person, as we've discussed. <laughs> I'm just trying to throw you under yeah, the no. bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's working. <laughs> well, a great way to get your next read is not to listen to guys like us, but to go to your local bookseller. And I always love seeing what the staff picks are going to be when I go into a bookstore. Don't you, Alex? 
Yeah, no, it's a great guide to what what's hot. Well, then it's time for Staff Picks, a new segment here on Writer Types. And this episode, we have picks from the legendary Once Upon a Crime bookstore in Minneapolis. Hi, my name is Devin Abraham from Once Upon a Crime bookstore in Minneapolis, and I highly recommend Lori Raider Day's upcoming suspense novel, The Lucky Ones. I've been a fan of Raider Day for a while now, but this one definitely takes the cake. Compelling characters and plot with a great twist at the end. What else can you ask for? Hi, this is Meg, and I am recommending Firewatching by Russ Thomas. Firewatching is a British police procedural that focuses on a cold case. Uh, it's really perfectly paced with a lot of hidden family secrets to discover, and this one really kept me turning the pages. I think you'll enjoy it. Hey, this is Jesse from Once Upon a Crime in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and my pick is debut author Tori Eldridge's thriller, The Ninja Daughter. It's a wild ride, and if you are in the mood for a kick-ass female ninja vigilante, this is definitely your book. Lily Wong is the main character. She's perfectly flawed, perfectly shocking. She's the wicked, deadly big stepsister you never knew you needed. The book has explosive action, from moments of major self-reflection to craziness, Eldridge definitely sucked me in and did not let me go until I finished it. The Ninja Daughter is definitely fresh, it's exciting, and it is just plain fun. So if you need a break, this is it. I couldn't recommend it more. Well, thanks to the staff at Once Upon a Crime. This is a fantastic bookstore. I had the good fortune to visit there a couple years ago. Uh, but they're also online at onceuponacrimebooks.com. They ship all over the world. They have an amazing selection of signed copies. And definitely go visit the annex section of the website. And if you're in the store, uh, maybe you're lucky enough like me to get a tour of that annex room. It is a vintage book lover's heaven. And I could have spent both all day and all of my money back there. Those are some great staff picks. Thanks again to Once Upon a Crime for doing it. Another book people are going to be talking about is Purgatory Bay by our next guest, Brian Gruley. Now, this is a sequel to Bleak Harbor, his book from last year. And Brian keeps cranking out these sort of upper Midwest thrillers that really capture a unique and compelling sense of place. I very much like what he displayed in his early Starvation Lake trilogy. And Alex, I, I got to know, would you ever live in a place called Bleak Harbor or Purgatory Bay? I mean, let alone Starvation Lake. Would you ever live in? Yeah, a I would. Uh, that's a hard pass. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I think that would be a sign not to live there. It's kind of like Murder Murder Avenue or something. Yeah, bad things are going to happen. <laughs> yeah, despondent town. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk to Brian Gruley. Well, Brian Gruley, thanks for coming back on Writer Types, uh, and you are here with Purgatory Bay, a, a sequel of sorts to Bleak Harbor. And uh, Brian, I, I'll tell you what I've noticed about your series work in, in these two books and your Starvation Lake trilogy. They're, they're almost more what I'd call community-based series, almost even more than character-based ones, even though you have continuing characters. I, I mean, am I way off base here, or is the building of a community that you do almost as important as the people in it? It's a neighborhood noir. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Starvation Lake is a, is a bit more of a character series because you have one narrator. It's a first person narrator, Gus Carpenter. But I wrote Starvation Lake, the town and the surrounding area as like a character in the book with Bleak Harbor and then Purgatory Bay. You know, they're near each other. 
and much of Purgatory Bay is actually set in the town of Bleak Harbor. Um, but there's a departure. So you, you still have the, the character of the town from the first book, but you have this whole other, uh, you know, this uh, literal, literally a bay with a big fortress on it where this woman lives who is, um, for lack of a better word, the protagonist. I've always wanted a fortress on a bay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's definitely on my to-do list. Um, <laughs> Brian, I, I'm curious about just, you know, I'm always curious about kind of the behind-the-scenes publishing journey because you, you've you got this background as a journalist and you, you did your initial trilogy and, and then there was a little, I guess, a lull. I mean, there's always a lull, but I, I want to hear kind of how what, what made these books the next thing for you. Well, when I finished the third Starvation Lake book, I realized just as I was finishing that book that I'd written a trilogy of sorts, you know, something with an arc, even though I had not intended that. In fact, I wrote a fourth book in between one and two that I threw away. It was so bad. At the same time, my agent at that time was talking to editors who were singing the siren song, you know, you can write your mystic river. Literally, they said that. And, uh, and so I thought, okay, I'm going to try something completely different and tried a couple of ideas out and they didn't work. And then finally I landed on Bleak Harbor, which was, uh, you know, it's about the kidnapping of an autistic boy. And I, I, I created Bleak Harbor based on uh, some time I spent in a town on Lake Michigan called Saugatuck. I'd been there for a story for the Wall Street Journal and I was just taken by it and its history. And that became Bleak Harbor. And then that was, you know, it's so the, 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 the structure and the form of that book and, and Purgatory Bay, for that matter, are worlds away from Starvation Lake, which is first person, past tense, sort of traditional chronological narrative. Whereas mm-hmm. Bleak Harbor in particular, you know, it's multiple points of view and present tense and skips around quite a bit. Purgatory Bay, I think, is a little more linear, but still. It's uh, it's complex. Yeah, you got these flashbacks to the to twelve years earlier, what happened and and what drives Jubilee, the main character, to to seek revenge the way she does. I mean, she's she's out for vengeance. This woman. Yes. <laughs> yes, she is. So, are are you uh, harboring old grudges that you're just waiting for the right moment to pounce? Is is this something in your own life? Careful. <laughs> <laughs> no. Although I will say that uh, one of the things that inspired Jubilee, if, if inspired is the word, was um, my periodic thinking as uh, I watch the news that there are many people in our society, in the world, who hurt other people either through violence, physical violence, emotional violence, financial, and do it with impunity. They always get away with it. And and Jubilee looks at it like, well, not you're you're not gonna get away with it, but it's not you're not gonna get away uh, you're not gonna get out of it easily in that I'm just gonna you know, you're the guy who hurt me, so I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna make you suffer the way I suffered. And then so she has to take a different approach. I don't think it's a spoiler to say that, you know, the plan involves kidnapping and and, uh, and that was interesting reading the book. Um did you have to research a lot of kidnapping methods or good how to, you know, how to, 
you know, your Google history is probably uh, flagged, raised <laughs> a few flags, but, you know, did you have to study up on good, you know, successful kidnappings and uh, did you make it onto a watch list? Is that something that... Not what I know of. Yeah, that's good. I, I, didn't, I really didn't do much uh, research on kidnappings. The one that's most important in the book, it isn't really at first a kidnapping. It's more right. playing on somebody's uh, greed, really. And, and I'll tell you, the, the way this book started in my head was before I'd even thought of Jubilee. I woke up one night in the middle of the night and I heard the band song Ophelia playing in my head. You know, bars on the windows, mail by the door. Why would anybody leave so quickly for Ophelia? Where have you gone? And that's where the book started, which is weird. Do you owe them royalties now? Uh, I hope not. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they owe me royalties. That would be good. <laughs> I think they're good, yeah. Yeah. Well, do you think that the kind of revenge that that she is consumed with, is is that kind of human nature? Is that within all of us that we have the potential? If, if we're wronged to such a degree, do you think that we all could go to the places that Jubilee goes to? I think we all have at least a tiny bit of potential for it. But, you know, 99.9% of us may indulge it a little bit in our head and then go back to work or play or whatever we're doing. Um, I mean, obviously, I, I couldn't have written this if I wasn't able to indulge that to some degree in my own head and heart. Um, but that's the beauty of it is I put it on the page and I walk away. I haven't killed anybody recently. So <laughs> just um, pretend or even try or even try. So, uh, uh, you know, the short answer to your question is yes. That's always the interesting thing I think about writers is I'm sure all three of us have encountered this where you meet somebody and there's always the question of, oh, how do you come up with these dark things and the, th you know, the, the things that you make your characters do? I mean, it's always with a look of concern. Too, yeah, like <laughs> but for for writers, I mean, I think the, the key thing is you have to have a little bit of understanding of the dark side of humanity, right? I think that's right, of course. In a, maybe it's a sick way, guys, but you have to have some take some pleasure in indulging it, in going there. Yeah. Because you're safe. You're, you're not really going to do these things. They're just, you know, digital ink blots. And part of it's got to be curiosity, too. I mean, just yeah. I, I love reading true crime. And I, and I know, Brian, you, you just you're, you're in the journalism world as well, where you're seeing a lot of stuff just firsthand as you report. So I think just our brains pivot. And, you know, what if the story went this way instead? And that's where that's that's usually the fire starter for me. I, as it happens, I have a piece that's going to run in about 10 days in Crime Reads. It's about this mm -hmm. very question. What? You know, our, our authors as twisted as the people they create. And and I talked with Laura Lippman and Steve Hamilton and Mike Connolly and a number of other really great authors about this thing. And their answers were fascinating. Uh, and Hamilton said, the most twisted characters come from the nicest people, the nicest writers. Yeah. And he said, the great thing about being a crime fiction writer is, is that you can put these things on the page and let them go and you're fine. He said... I don't envy romance writers who put these things on the page and they never live them and they could be very frustrated by not having, <laughs> these, uh, you know, these amazing affairs with, uh, you know, 
the pumping and thrusting and bronzing, et cetera. <laughs> well, I've, I'll gloss over the fact that you did not uh, invite Alex and I into this article, but apparently our opinion doesn't matter. But that's that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I knew I'd be on here, and this is going to overshadow everything. That's right. <laughs> this is the crowning achievement, I have to say. <laughs> you mentioned sort of the starting and stopping in between before you landed in, in Bleak Harbor. Is that kind of your process? Like before you get to the next thing, will you start and maybe even go through a couple more novels or ideas before you land on the thing that really sticks? I can say with confidence the answer is yes, because I'm doing it right now. I've been, <laughs> I've been going back and forth with my excellent agent, Meg Ruley who has infinite patience. And this character, uh, her name is Devin Payne, P-A-Y-N-E, and, and she's a, a child custody arbitrator. So it's a person who people hire when they have particularly noxious divorces. Wow. So there's a lot of, I mean, it's the opportunity for domestic noir is huge. And you yeah. have lots of choices. Sometimes it's worse than not having. So... Uh, Meg and I have been going back and forth and trying to get Devin exactly right. And the great thing about this one is Meg asked me at one point, could you do me a favor? Could you make her a hockey player in a women's league? And my affinity for hockey. And I said, no, I'm going to make her the only woman in a men's league. How's that? So she will be. Uh (laughs) Devin's kind of a badass. Now, do you think, are we peeling a little bit of the curtain back here and showing the readers the torture that might go on behind some of these books that seem like they just drop out fully formed? But is do you think that there is a, a story of angst behind every novel you read that, that the reader is never aware of? I, I, I suspect, you know, all I, all I can speak to is my own personal experience. And certainly that's been the case for me. But I'm sure, I'm sure of that. In many cases, um, you know, you hear this guy go, well, that that story, that song, that novel just wrote itself. I'm like, man, that's the kind of novel I want to write. <laughs> yeah, none of them seem to Because I haven't found one of those yet. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, like I, I told you, you know, I, so I wrote Starvation Lake took me four years to write it. You know, it was my dream. Here it is. I'm, I'm going on tour for Starvation Lake. This is 09. And I had turned in the second book. And my, my editor calls me, and I'm, I'm on my way, way, way to my second event. This is a big deal for me. And she calls me and says, she's read the second book. She says, we have a lot of work to do, which is a euphemism for this sucks. And, <laughs> and the thing was, I knew it. I knew it sucked. You know, you know, you're a writer. You guys are writers. You want to turn it in and have people go, oh, brilliant. That doesn't right. usually happen. And I, I like that. You know, I really like rewriting and and uh, editing and all that stuff. I like that part. I, I know writers who say they don't like it. Oh, I hate it. Yeah, the rewriting is more fun than, than the first. The first draft I find to be really laborious, just getting that all on paper. And then the the, uh, the kind of shaping is, is the fun. Yeah, and taking stuff out, too. I, I, I love the feel of, you know, with a printout and a pen – the feeling of striking out words and sentences and paragraphs. Because I know it's getting better. Almost certainly the book is getting better if I'm getting rid of stuff. Yeah. Well, Brian, we look forward to whatever uh, comes out of your mind and and your pen next, uh, even though it sounds like we're going to have a long wait. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. 
It won't be this year. That's for sure. <laughs> well, when it does happen, you are invited back on Writer Types. Uh, let's make it a tradition. Great. Well, I, I hope folks out there uh, take a look at Purgatory Bay, and I hope they like it. Well, I'm sure they will if they, if they if they decide to take a look. Believe me, it, you traded the emails back and forth, uh, and it's not as bad as you think it is. <laughs> Can I use that as a blurb? Sure. Not as bad as Gruley thinks it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's. I mean, you're saying like it, you, when we're in drafting stages, we all think, oh, this is terrible. It seems like you still have that feeling. This thing is bound and in print. Yeah. <laughs> you're still questioning whether you did a halfway decent yeah. job. Yeah. Somebody liked it. Somebody liked it as a great blurb. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There you go. That's another one. Well, you did it, Alex. It was pretty painless, right? Yeah, except for the whole nice guy bashing at the beginning, but I, I survived. I'm still nice. Still a good person. Well, after so many years of hosting Noir at the Bar there in uh, in Queens, as well as uh, you've hosted a lot of other things, I, I knew you'd be great at this. Even though you are my nemesis now, I still love you. Well, thanks everyone for listening in. Visit the brand new writertypespodcast.com for more about the show. And you can always follow us on Twitter at writertypes. If you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast, you won't miss a thing. And if you feel like leaving us a review, you'll be in good company since we have all five-star ratings, except for that one guy who left us a one-star review. But uh, that's kind of how you know you've made it, right, Alex? Uh, and that was me. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Yeah, no, you, you definitely need that a one uh, one star on Goodreads or wherever your ratings are, are served. Yeah, it, it, it means your your book or your podcast has arrived. <laughs> exactly. Well, once again, Alex Segura, thank you for helping me out today. You can find out more about Alex's books at the cleverly named alexsegura.com. <laughs> and uh, I'll be back next time with another guest co-host and more fantastic guests. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me.